right, welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone we feel can help you grow as a music producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Dumu. Now, Dumu is an incredibly talented producer with a range of releases on Monster Cat and Bitbird. If you're familiar with his music, you'll know his approach to sound design and arrangement is really unique. We dive into this and a whole lot more in this episode. We start by covering Dumu's background, talking about what got him into music production, what tutorials he watched at the start, and why he's glad he released music right away, even though it really wasn't that good yet. We also talk about his approach to sound design, what tools and effects he's using, and how he approaches layering to fill out a mix. He offers a ton of advice specifically for intermediate producers, so if you're someone who's been producing for maybe a year or two and just can't break through that wall for finding an original and polished sound, you definitely won't want to miss this interview. Dumu's going to be doing an AMA in the Monster Cat subreddit on October 4th, so if you catch this episode right away, definitely check that out if you want to ask more specific questions about production, and if you're listening to this after, definitely check it out as I'm sure there'll be a ton of valuable advice. Dumu also just released his talkie P on Monster Cat, which I'll play you a preview of as we slide into the interview. With that, let's wrap things up. Here's the EDM podcast with Dumu. All right, welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Charlie, who goes under the name Dumu. Charlie, how you doing today, man? Doing good. How are you? Not too bad. So as always, I love to just learn a bit about the artist's background. Talk to me about how you got into music and then more specifically music production. Yeah, so I've always liked music. My dad always played like really good, well, in my opinion, really good music around the house when I was a kid. Um, like, you know, he would play like Lincoln park and Pearl jam and stuff like that. Uh, and my mom also had pretty good taste. Like you'd come down on a Sunday morning, she'd be making music, she'd be making breakfast to Nora Jones or whatever. So it was a good, there was always like something going on in the house with music. Um, I actually got started in like digital making things way before I started making music. I, I was making like editing video since I was nine so so 11 years now so jesus um what got you into that i think i was watching a lot of like freddie w and corridor digital on youtube back Mm -hmm. then i don't know if you know those channels but they're like iconic iconic channels um so i I was watching a lot of that and i was like man i want to try stuff like that so i i did i tried doing video editing uh i still do to this day edit video not nearly as often as i used to but yeah uh and then so in terms of music i found monster cat around the time they released this song by Arian called Cold Blood and Ice Cream Cones, which is one of the OG songs, to the point where it's like it's an electro song, but they're still using only purple on it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I found that, and that's that really got me into electronic music. So for about half a year after that, I was listening to a lot of Monster Cat releases, and maybe even a year after that. Oh, okay. Voice crack. <clears throat> maybe, <laughs> maybe even a year after that. I was listening to a lot of EDM and Monster Cat specifically, also Dead Mouse. Okay. Anyway, uh, after about a, a year, I was in like a holiday place that we go to with my family quite often, 
And I was really bored because there wasn't much to do. Like everybody that was there with us were young people with younger kids. So my little brothers would get to play with them and I was kind of just bored all the time. So my mom let me borrow her laptop and I watched and I like, you know, I was committed. I was watching an hour long how to make music in garage band tutorial. And then I just went and made a song and that was the beginning of it. And now here we are. Was it seven years later? Yeah. Now here we are seven years later. So it was just a little bit of boredom and a spark of inspiration that got yeah. you going at the start. Spe- specifically in terms of like a song that I, al- that I will always quote as being the one that like pushed me over the edge into going, I need to try this is Exogenesis by Rogue. Oh, which is gosh, also yeah. a, also a classic also throwing it back here. That song, I heard it and I was listening to it and I was like, man, this is so cool. I want to make electronic music. Yeah. Uh, so is- I looked up a yeah, tutorial and there we are. It's cool that you can tie it back to a singular experience. Like I had a similar thing where I kind of got into electronic music at the same age and I was driving home and I was listening to Tiesto's um, Club <laughs> Life Radio on Sirius XM. I'm not going to name the track that made me think, hey, I should try making this. I'm quite uh-huh. embarrassed of it, but um, hey, got me to where I am now. But yeah, it's funny to be able to like tie it back to something singular. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously like more to, to it than that one thing, but it, that yeah. one thing is like the the... You know, what is it? What do they say? The thing that tipped it, you know what I mean? Like the tipping point? <laughs> yeah, the tipping point. The, the drop that, no, that's a thing in French. Never mind. You get what I mean. <laughs> so you watched that hour long GarageBand tutorial. What were kind of those next steps for you wanting to learn more about how to produce electronic music? The GarageBand, okay. So actually, before the GarageBand tutorial, like about two years before, I had already messed with GarageBand, just making like a couple songs with loops, like the Apple loops. So okay. I, I already knew that I was a little bit interested in, in music. And obviously with the uh, the fact that my parents always played music when the house and in the car and everything. Um, yeah, I think so. I watched that GarageBand tutorial, made a song and I had fun. And I was like, huh, OK, well, let me look up some more tutorials. And and I actually found like I, I honestly I wish I could remember them because they were such good resources back then. Um, but I found this like little community of like, you know, maybe five to ten garage band producer tutorial like makers and they were yeah. they were pretty good like they they weren't great in <laughs> hindsight but it, for yeah. like a beginner like me they were pretty good uh and then the next thing that i started looking into after i'd been making music in garage band for about six months was actually no whoa, what am i saying six months it was more like two months <laughs> um, okay it's just the beginning man it feels long um yeah i looked into other software I actually tried out a bunch of them. I tried Logic, obviously, because I'm on a Mac. Yeah. Uh, I tried Reason, which I couldn't crack, like both literally, like and, many, and yeah, both in the and both in the sense that I couldn't find a crack for it, <laughs> and in the sense that <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to use it. Um, and then I found this guy, and I don't think his tutorials are up anymore, but his name was Ear Trash, and he made a really, really yeah. good Ableton Basics tutorial. And so I picked up Ableton through Ear Trash's tutorial. And back then I was using Impulse to make my drums rather than drum rack. And now I actually use MIDI. Or sorry, now I use yeah. audio, stuff like that. But like it was a really good like starting point because he teaches you the basics of the uh, layout and he teaches you the basics of how what each instrument and what each effect does in a way that's really simple and not super long. So when I found that tutorial, I was like, okay, well, let's buy Ableton intro because it's only 100, 100 euro. And even though yeah. I was 14 at the time, I had managed to save up that amount of money. So I was like, mom, can you use your credit card and I'll give you this these bills? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know how it goes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then for Christmas that year, my parents were super kind and got me Ableton Live 8 Suite at the time. And it, it came with a free upgrade to Live 9 Suite when that would release later in, in the following year. And uh, yeah. So when you were picking up Ableton at this time and getting more into production, was it just a hobby for you? Or did you have kind of bigger aspirations for what you wanted to do? Okay. So the really weird thing is until... Okay, I've been producing for seven years. I think until about five years in, I didn't think I would be making money anytime soon. Okay. Um, at that point, it was very much a hobby, even though I knew like I wanted, like, at that point, I'd been making music for almost a year. And I was like, man, I know for a fact that I really want to do this for a while, at least, because I'm having a lot of fun with it. And unlike my video stuff, because my parents didn't allow me to have a YouTube channel when I was 14, which, you know what, fair enough. Um <laughs> But unlike my video stuff, I was actually getting basically instant feedback on it because I was posting to SoundCloud back when it was classic SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. um, so I was I was gaining. I mean, it was like a fan base of 200 followers, but it was a fan base nonetheless more than I'd ever had before. Yeah. And uh, so because I was getting this instant feedback, I think that's what I think that's what like differentiated video to music for me is that music I was able to to share it to people and get feedback almost immediately. Whereas video was always more difficult because there weren't that many websites that allowed you to build communities like SoundCloud did. Uh, YouTube wasn't really built like that. Um, or, it, you know, if, if it was, it wasn't very good at doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's what differentiated music and, and, and that for me. But it was definitely a hobby for a while. Although I will say that in the, in the years following my my uh, start in music and then until the end of high school my grades just continued dropping <laughs> because i was, I was focusing more and more and more on music so for the first year it was a hobby but it was so bad like i was making so much music that i almost got kicked out of my school and um because my grades were so low thankfully i picked it back up and then in high school like the thing with me is i'm a pretty like naturally academic person, but I absolutely hate school. Okay. I hate, I hated school. So, so what was great is that I just had to do bare minimum and I would still just barely pass. So yeah. that's what I did for the entirety of, of high school post eighth grade, essentially school post eighth grade was doing bare minimum to just pass. And I did. <laughs> and now I live in Singapore. So who's, who's the loser now? That math teacher from, <laughs> from seventh grade. Where are you originally from? I'm French. French. Okay. How did you end up in Singapore? Oh man. All right. I'm French, uh, half Japanese, uh, and there's a lot of other like mixed blood in there. None of it is Singaporean if you thought that was where that was going, but, uh, I was also born in the UK because my parents lived there before they moved back to France when I was born. And then I spent most of my life in France. Then I moved to the UK for two years, the last two years to uh, do two years of university. I dropped out of that school because I wanted to move here to Singapore. And the reason I came out here is because my managers are out here. They, they're, the same, they're, they're the same people who manage Mern. Um, so my managers are out here and they obviously being out here and having been out here for most of their careers, most of the contacts that they have are in Asia. And as a result, it's easier to push me as an Asia-based artist rather than, hey, here's our artist. Hey, New Music Malaysia, please push this. Please put this song <laughs> yeah. in your playlist. He lives in the UK, but don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, 
So for that reason, I moved out here for like career, like opportunity reasons. And also there's a little, you know, extra little bonus that my girlfriend lives in the Philippines, which is a lot closer to here than <laughs> to London. Yeah. So, yeah. So kind of going back a bit, you talked about how being able to post your music on SoundCloud, get that immediate feedback was really helpful. What were some of the other things beyond, you know, those first Ableton Live tutorials that you watched that help you get to a point where you're starting to get more comfortable with production and be able to craft your own sound? I came up in an era where splice didn't exist. So if I had, to, if I wanted to make sounds, it was either ma ma massive preset packs, which were super looked down upon, or it was learned to sound design. So I learned to sound design and I still think it's one of the most valuable skills. I think splice and like serum preset packs are amazing because they give the resources to younger producers to make higher quality content. But I think the issue with them is that now, nowadays, a lot of younger producers don't know what the hell like anything in serum does i was talking to one yeah. of my little brother's friends um and he started making music and he was like he looks up to me and which is crazy but um and he's talking to me he's like what preset packs do you use because mine are getting a little repetitive and boring yours are always so fresh and i'm like man i i don't i've not used a preset pack since like after like post two years i haven't used yeah. the preset pack um it's a very undervalued part of production, like understanding where your unique sign, where yeah. your unique sound can come from. Like if you're using all the same tools, presets, plugins, and drum samples as everyone else, like there's no room for you to be creative. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And like it it well, so there's the there's the there was the pressure of the culture back then because back when I was back in my day, um <laughs> SoundCloud was yeah. very much producer focused. You know, it was okay. SoundCloud had a weird arc. It was producer focused, then it became mainstream, and now it's dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> like back then, it was you go to the yeah. top anyway. Um, SoundCloud was very producer focused, and so preset packs and and stuff like that were pretty looked down upon. People were like, "If you're using preset packs, then you're not a real producer." So that kind of forced me to learn sound design, and I learned it through both trial and error as anything like that works for anything, but yeah. also through YouTube tutorials by people like, and I'm about to throw some names at you here. Frisky Let's Nippa. Do, do you remember Frisky Nippa? No. Okay. He's like an OG legend. Okay. <laughs> Frisky Nippa. You ask most SoundCloud producers from the era, <laughs> they know about Frisky Nippa. Yeah. Oh, Frisky Nippa. Yeah. I know Frisky <laughs> Nippa. Um, I mean, that's a gem of a name. Oh, it really is. I actually like had totally forgotten about him until right now when I was about to mention him. Um, yeah. So Frisky, like people like Frisky Nippa and like even like Seamless, even though I was in Ableton and not using Harmer ever, um, Seamless and stuff like that, they were they were good tutorials and good resources. But I think most of all, it was trial and error. Uh, yeah. Because as and I, this is more of a recent development or recent-ish development, but I used to use plugins all the time, and I know a lot of people who use plugins all the time. And in the last, I think, two years. I've now switched to using basically stock Ableton like 95% of the time. I use Wavetable and Operator for most, if not all of my synths in songs. Damn. What was the motivation for that? All of my old pr um, projects were broken because I didn't have the plugins <laughs> anymore because they were from an old computer. So now I fight that by not only using only stock, stock plugins, but also any track that has a plugin that I know for a fact I won't always have i freeze them before i before i took the project away into the vault yeah 
Um, and I, I it, those there's the plugins that I freeze are kind of arbitrary, but stuff like, for instance, Valhalla Room, I don't freeze those tracks because a it's every track, and b yeah. I it's just my favorite reverb. And knowing this now, I know that even if in ten years I don't use Valhalla Room anymore, I'll be like, I need to have it on my computer because I used it so much in my old projects. Yeah. So stuff like that, right? Um, but yeah, in terms of getting better at sound design, it's all about trial and error and definitely learning, learning from others as well. Uh, if you can, if you can work, like collaborate with other artists and work with them and ask them questions, definitely do, because I think that's one of the best resources. So at least for you, I would say across the board, you've got a really unique sound design. Do you think that just comes from the fact that you have given it some care and attention and you're not using presets and you're like, Hey, I'm going to build these things from scratch. And that's an intention that I'm doing to be able to make more interesting sounds in my music. I don't really think about it. Like when I'm making music, I just make the sound, right? Um, yeah. This kind of ties in with something that I <clears throat> sort of uh, get asked a lot is like people ask me how I found my sound and I'm doing air quotes, but like how I found my yeah. sound. Yeah. And I, something that I think is very true for most producers is that you don't, I don't hear that I have a sound. I can't hear it um, because I, and I've said this so many times now, but I'm just going to keep saying it the exact same way is I think that a producer's sound is just a byproduct of the habits that they have when they're producing. Interesting. Uh, any producer who gets to a slightly higher level, not that I am at a higher level, but any producer who gets to a point where like they're releasing on bigger indie labels or bigger, you know, on the majors, they've been producing for long enough that you develop habits and everybody has different habits. So like I might roll off the high end on every single synth in my project, but I know for instance, Mern doesn't necessarily do that. Or yeah. uh, Mern doesn't have, Mern isn't as, uh, I'm using Mern as an example because I've worked with him a lot recently. Yeah. Um, but he's not as like anal about using samples. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> <laughs> I think in this context, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's not as he's not as anal about using samples as as I used to be, and I think it's good because on the on the other hand, it also pushed me to be less anal about using samples. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I definitely think that my sound and my the the my quote unquote interesting sound design across the board, as you so eloquently put it, is is just a byproduct of the way that I produce. Their habits that I've built over the years, the preference like sound preferences that I have developed again over the years. Like I know some people like kicks that's got a lot of like a hundred hertz, you know, sort of punch. I like kicks that are more subby and and that's just that's just different preferences and as a result that influences the overall sound and, and sound design that I do. In terms of like well how I got my sound design where it is, like I said yeah. before, trial and error and and making a lot of awful sounds. <laughs> Like for when it comes to heavy music, I still don't know what I'm doing, but happy accidents just keep happening. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a critical piece of advice. Like so many, so many times when a great track comes out, it comes from doing something wrong or doing something accidentally and clicking something yeah, wrong yeah. and just being open enough to be like, hey, that is something cool and I'm going to see where that's going to go. Yeah, that's something that I like. It took. It takes a while, I think, when you're a younger producer to realize this. I say younger as in like as a producer, not in age, but like when you're a, yeah. a more beginner producer, it takes a while to realize that it's like, oh, maybe this isn't the sound that I was looking for, but it sounds really cool. So I'm going to use it anyway. Yeah. Because nobody knows what the sound in your mind was. So totally. Um, so you talked a bit about being able to learn from other people, at least mm -hmm. at this stage in your career, when you were getting better at production, did you have other people around you either physically or over the internet that you were connecting with, collaborating with, and just 
just talking about music production in general? Yeah. So I think I, I think I was lucky enough to like start music at a point where it was a lot easier to build a community in the music production um, sort of sphere. Yeah. Because it wasn't as saturated. Like nowadays everybody makes beats and everybody wants to be a producer and everything. Uh, Most people give up, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, I was lucky enough to, to be, to like hop into it before all of that. So through SoundCloud, I actually met people, people who are now my best friends and who have spent, you know, vacations with and everything. And yeah, being able to, to grow with them artistically and, and, see our own like like our mutual progress is definitely something that was very inspiring uh part of that was also being able to go to these friends send them a song and get actual feedback yeah so like oh i think this kicks a little wonky or i think this this guitar line could be a little different and then you and then you'd come back to them and be like well i agree with you on this and this but i think but i made this guitar line wacky on purpose or whatever you know and then they'd be like oh fair enough then it works um and having that openness, and I think I was lucky because I know a lot of people who, even in my time, didn't have a community like this. But I was really lucky to have some people like that, at least. And some of them have come and go. Uh, a few of them have stayed the whole time that I still talk to, and they're my best friends. Um, and uh, being able to, you know, have that support around you and when at, a, at an early stage is really important. So I, I always urge people to, like, when to try and find a community, even though I know it's a lot more difficult now than it was back then. I, I think it's such a valuable thing to, because yeah. if you're just making music on your own, then what's the, what's the point? You can't afford not to with your growth as a producer and also with your career. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like a lot of people get that in spirit, but still just aren't putting in the work. And yeah. by like connecting with people, that doesn't mean go to a club every Friday night and like network with all the promoters and stuff. No, no just like exactly. find somebody on SoundCloud or on Facebook, or on Reddit. Yeah, it has a hit similar taste to in you. Find a, yeah, friendship. Yeah. Try to find a friendship. <laughs> uh, Fucking make that. friends. What are you, a loser? Try to find a friendship. <laughs> 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 so, um, kind of going back to your growth as a producer. Yeah. You said your goal was always to get on Monster Cat, which is something that, or I guess you said that Monster Cat was one of your favorite labels as you were getting into electronic music, and you eventually ended yeah. up releasing on them on their label. Talk a bit about how you were able to develop that relationship and get to a point where you were able to release a bunch of records on Monster Cat. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it was a dream come true. Still is to a point. Like it, when I think about it a little, little, holy shit, when I think about it a little too hard, it, it still weirds me out. I'm like, wait, I'm on, I'm a Monster Cat artist. And at this point, I'm a, one of the core artists as well, because I've released a bunch. Yeah. Um, the way that it came about is in true music industry fashion, I met a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy, et cetera. And the list goes on. Um, yeah. That guy was Mindsight. So I made a song with him and released it on Monster Cat. It was my second release, I think. Okay. Uh, it's called What Feels Right. Um, he found my music completely randomly, messaged me on Facebook, and I decided to answer. And he was like, I like your music. Let's work. And uh, I was like, I'm sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So we made a song together. This was before Illuminate ever even started right um okay this was before the relationship that illuminate was about even began (laughs) this is a while ago uh so we work on the song we essentially finished it by august of 2016 mind you the song wasn't released until 
July of 2017, almost a year later. Um, but we finished the song in August of 2016. And he, the whole time he was talking to his friend, James, who had interned for Pegboard Nerds as manager. And I think it was James who had interned or it was James who knew a guy who had interned for Pegboard Nerds as manager or something like that. Um, yeah. But there was a long chain and it ended at uh, John going quantum. Okay. Um, and so, or rather it ended at the general Monster Cat A&R team. Um, once we finished the track and sent it to them, th- all the way through that chain of, of people, it they liked it. So they decided that they wanted to release it. Then we didn't hear much for a bit because apparently they wanted to do a solo release with Mindsight before putting out the collab. Sorry. Okay. Before putting out the collab. And Mindsight didn't want to do a solo release with them. So eventually they gave up and came to me. So I guess I was second choice, but hey, it worked out. <laughs> um, it works. They came to me. Uh, Going Quantum sent me a DM on Instagram. And he was like, do you have any music to send us? And I was like, oh, this was out of the blue, right? I was like, oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I sent him a playlist of a bunch of work in progress songs. A lot of them were pretty chill. And then he picked four of them and said, let's make an EP with these four. One of them, I actually decided, I was like, actually, I'd rather not put this one out. Can we use this one instead? And he was like, yeah, that works. Um, so he actually also sent me a message saying, um, I was listening to your whip playlist and fell asleep on my couch. So I was like, is that a good thing? He's like, yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, he pick, we picked those four tracks. They became the Illuminate EP. As with most of my music, the narrative behind the EP kind of came in hindsight more than yeah. it was like a, a conscious thing. But yeah. That's how that happened. Uh, knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. How much, I guess, where was your Dumu project at before that point? Just trying to give like the listeners some context for yeah. how, you know, how many followers, all that fun stuff that you had before yeah, yeah. you got to a point where Monster Cat was signing you to an EP. It was, it was, it was doing all right, to be honest. I had had, so I released a song a while ago called Bathtub Galaxy, which okay. was the first song of mine that kind of popped off. And that's, it's around then that Mindsight sent me a message. Okay. Um, this was in June of 2016. And Bats of Galaxy was the first song. It, I, no idea why it popped off. Just a few big, bigger producers found it and they shared it and well, reposted it because back then that actually helped. Um, yeah. And uh, that, that song kind of popped off. So by the time Mindsight sent me a message, I had, uh, I think 1.7 K followers on SoundCloud. So I wasn't okay. huge by any means. Uh, still not, but, and then by the time that, uh, the Illuminate EP was released. So this was, you know, after we'd done all the planning and stuff like that, I was around 4 K I would say. Okay. So that, that 2016 was a year of quick growth. Yeah. Um, I went from 1.6 K in June to 4 K essentially <laughs> around February the next year. So, it grew very fast that year, but around, yeah, I was around there. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know that many people at the time. Like I knew, like I said, the community that I had built and some of them knew slightly bigger artists. Like I had a friend who was friends with Subtact and that's how Subtact found that song and how Subtact and I started talking as well and stuff like that. Yeah. It's yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't very big. So it's not, it's not, it, Oh my God. <laughs> okay. It's got nothing to do with how, popular you are i mean it helps to be big if you want them to release your music but if you're really good and they believe in your project then it doesn't matter at all i mean i think that's an invaluable piece of advice and i'm sure that's how you even gained the followers that you had in the first place without having a label and presumably just kind of self-releasing it just having something well, I, yeah. 
I yeah. did technically have a label, but they they did really nothing. Uh, okay. It was surreal recordings, which sucks to say because they've been I've known the owners since I was started out in music in like 2012. Okay, and they were, um, like he was a good friend of mine. But then the label over the years just started dropping off, and he started slacking. And I wish him the best still, but we're not really on speaking terms anymore. Um, he, by the end of working with them, I was releasing music with them, but he wasn't doing anything. It was literally just all me. I, I was even distributing my own tracks at that point. Yeah. Um, so I was with a label, but there wasn't much support there. So it was mostly independent. Um, I was going to follow up what I had said about being big and stuff, but I totally forgot um, what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, like, uh, you don't, yeah, like, to, to continue on, you don't have to be big for Monster Cat to sign you or anything. I think it's as evidenced by the fact that not only did they believe in my project that was Illuminate, but they released it despite the fact that it was just completely out of the blue for Monster Cat to release something like that. Yeah. And that since then, they've put, you know, a good amount of resources towards, you know, helping me grow my career. And, and it's worked. So, you know, thankful for that. Yeah. So what kind of has been your focus and trajectory since getting that Illuminate project? It seems like for the most part, you've been releasing on Monster Cat. You had, I think, a Bitbird release here or there. What has been really your focus since having that EP out? Um, I mean, I don't really know. Uh, I, I kind of just make the music that I feel like making and, and put it out wherever I feel like putting it out. I have yeah. to shout out my managers for the Bitbird releases and a lot of my progress, especially over the past uh, year or almost two years, uh, because I had gotten on Monster Cat and released the Illuminate EP and released a couple other songs, but I felt like I was really like sort of, I plateaued in terms of my growth. Okay. Um, And honestly, like I, I managed to get on Monster Cat without having any managers. So I'm pretty happy with myself on that, on that front. But yeah, um, by that point, it had been a year since then, and I was, or a little under a year since then, and I felt like my growth hadn't really sort of kept going. So I was starting to look for managers. I had a friend of mine who managed me for like two months temporarily as like a temporary solution. He was down to do it, and he was very open about me going to my current managers when when uh, I got with them. Uh, and this was in February of 2018. I got with, like, I signed with 110 Agency. Okay. And uh, they're great. They're honestly, I don't think I could have gotten better first managers. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't see myself switching to any other management or dropping them anytime soon because they're, they give yeah. me so much creative freedom. They're all about like me as an artist rather than like trying to make money off of me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's great. Um, and since getting with them, well, I mean, the numbers, I don't, I, I don't talk about stats or numbers too much because I think they're kind of arbitrary or whatever, but um, going from 50k monthly listeners on Spotify to 170k kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. So they've done a very good job, and so we, I wouldn't have moved to Singapore if it wasn't for them um, being good. So yeah, I guess with that, for a lot of people that we've had on this podcast, very rarely are their first managers the success story that everybody hopes for. You seem like almost the rare yeah. case where, to a degree, lucked out with your first managers being the ones that work well with what you want in your project. Definitely. What what kind uh, of advice? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to follow up with the fact that Mern, his first manager was just awful. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, and then he got with these guys, which and by the way, they didn't make him sign a contract for like a year after he, after they managed to get him out of his previous contract, because the last thing an artist wants to do after getting an awful <laughs> management contract is signing a new one. Yeah. Um, so like, that's, that's the kind of people they are. Like the first thing that my, so my managers, there's two of them, there's Adam and Alex, um, but there's also four artists on the, on the roster. There's me, Mern, a guy called Sun and a guy called Hans. Alex mostly takes care of Sun and Hans, and Adam mostly takes care of Mern and me. Um, the first thing that Adam did, like in working with Mern, was dismantle his awful uh, management contract because he had done business studies and, and knew enough about contracts to do that. Yeah, and then he was working with Manfred in in helping him promote his music and everything didn't make him sign a contract about until about a year later, because that's kind of, that's how they are. They're really considerate of the artist's wishes and really considerate in general as people. And I think they're great. My advice is that you shouldn't take the first manager who comes to you just because they're a manager. Uh, I actually, they didn't contact me. I went and looked at a bunch of different management agencies and found them. And they looked to be the, the people who were the most sort of in line with what I wanted. So I shot them an email, didn't expect to hear anything back. And then they got back to me. So I got lucky. But I mean, overall, I seem to have gotten lucky with my management because yeah. they emailed me back and they're amazing. So I guess just to kind of tie that up, wanting a manager, I think is a very natural thing. And kind of like you said, managers are a great way to be able to help propel you forward with your career. But yeah. you hear so many horror stories. You talked about Mern and we've had other people on the podcast where people get into management contracts too soon. And at the end of the day, yeah. it isn't the right fit. Oftentimes it's good yes. people with good intentions that have done great work beforehand. But if it's not the right fit for what you want in your project, it's not the right relationship. So take your time, you know, let managers come to you. And then in some cases, go reach out. If you feel like you have a project that just isn't getting the attention and cred that it needs or it deserves, you can do some reach outs just like Duma did. Absolutely. And I think, wait, wait to get a manager. Yeah. I, I waited as long as possible to get a manager. Some people were like, why don't you have a manager? And I said, I don't need one for now. I'm fine. Uh, just because you have a manager doesn't make you appear more professional because you can just create a Gmail account for yourself that says MGMT. <laughs> so whatever. Um, it is kind of a sneaky trick that I've seen some people do where they'll, even if they'll have their, the next level beyond that is to get your own website. Just be like yeah, management yeah. at dumu.com and it's just another yeah, email that's you. Me. <laughs> It's just me, man. No, um, don't don't rush to get a manager just because it makes you feel like an artist. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's a really dumb reason to get a manager. And I think you should wait as long as you can. Like I waited almost a year after I felt like I was plateauing to get a manager because I was like, you know what, this might be just a a dry spell. It's going to go back. And after a year, I was like, okay, I need help now. Yeah, definitely don't rush into it. A way to kind of sum that up is a manager can accelerate your career, but isn't going to make your career. Exactly. Like you should still be doing great work by yourself. And kind of like you said, the longer you wait and the better your career is, the more leverage that you'll have when it comes exactly. to finding a quote unquote better manager than also getting a better deal in the long run. For sure. And I mean, you've seen it yourself firsthand. Uh, it's me who's been replying to all your emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, I'd love to talk about your latest EP talk, which is out on MonsterCat. for you to talk a bit about how this release came about and then later on let's dive into some of the production because there is a lot going on there 
Yes, there is. Did you watch the stream? No. I did a Apologize. I'll get into talking about talk in a second. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I did a I did a stream after Call of the Wild last week. Okay. Uh, I, I stayed up until seven in the morning to do it. Oof. Um or there was production. It's highlighted on my Twitch. So if you want to link that for production people, you can. I'll put that in the uh, show notes, which I'll link and the description. Yeah, is. Yeah. Okay. Talk. How did it come about? How did it come about? Um, so I started the EP back in November of 2018. Indeed. Uh, it was in a little coffee shop. That's also like a laundrette. Is that what you call them in the U S as well? Like a laundrette, uh-huh. like a dry cleaners. I'd say more dry, Not a dry cleaners, cleaners but like laundromat. Okay. Okay. Yeah, laundromat. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a laundromat slash coffee shop because we we didn't have a dryer in our apartment in in the UK. Okay. Uh, so we had to when it came to like doing our sheets, we had to really go to a laundromat to get them dried. So, um, we were me and my friend were just there waiting for our our clothes and sheets to to wash, and just on our laptops doing some work for uni. And I got bored of working for uni, and <laughs> I opened up Ableton, and. Uh, started this track in hindsight it's that like this was at a point where i was very frustrated in my life i was starting to try and plan my move to come out here to singapore and a lot of things were falling through and i was talking to some schools and none of them were applying and stuff like that yeah so i was very frustrated because as much as i loved the uk it didn't feel like i should be like it didn't feel like the place that i should be right now it felt like i should be here right now um so I was very frustrated and blinded in hindsight is very much an expression of that frustration. Yeah. So that's kind of where the EP started at. I kind of left blinded as a half finished project, not even half finished, you know what quarter finished project um, on my hard drive for about five months before I brought it back from the dead. And that happened when I was making the song talk with Emia. Okay. Um, and I had just started this song and I thought it was sounding really cool. And I was like, this feels like it should be part of a, of a bigger project. And for some reason, I feel like this track that I made five months ago called blinded fits into that. Uh, actually a fun fact about blinded, it was originally called speak. And I think that's where the EP got its name. Talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Blinded was, was called speak, but then talk was called talk. And I was like, why can't I have speak and talk? (laughs) (laughs) That's just weird. (laughs) <laughs> um so i renamed it to blinded because it worked with the lyrics but yeah um when i made talk i was like this needs to be a bigger project i brought blinded into the equation and it and it, and it felt right and then over the course of the following this was in march okay that this happened and then over the course of between like march and july i basically made the rest of the ep um there was I mean, the interlude I made basically exactly halfway through the process of making the EP. I made it in like a day. Um, I was like, let's make some ambient. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is in the EP now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like with most of the tracks. And then the weirdest one I think of all of them is Intentions, the second track on the EP. Yeah. Because that was originally supposed to be an official remix for this uh, pop artist whose team had reached out and they were like, we want you to do a remix for this song. And I was like, cool. I I love this song. I'm going to do the remix. Yeah. And I did it in like six hours. I finished the remix in six hours. I was having such a blast making it. And then I sent it back to the team and they were like, we love it. She doesn't. (laughs) So, so, and then they're like, we can whitelist it for you on SoundCloud if you want. And I was like, I'm going to release something on SoundCloud in 2019. (laughs) Um, so I decided to say, no, thanks. Don't worry about it. And then, took off the vocal and everything that was in the original and turned it into my own song. 
um, which I'm kind of sad about because uh, I did like backing vocals for the original song. Like I did sort of background vocals yeah. for it on top of the ones that existed. And they were easily my best vocal performance to date. So now nobody's going to get to hear them. <laughs> So that's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, that's that that's that's in terms of like the EP like process in terms of making it. Yeah. As for releasing it, I think we sent a a brief, I guess, or pitch to Monster Cat okay. <clears throat> around May, I'd say, uh, with sort of what the EP was about and why we thought it was a, a valid EP or like a valid thing to put resources behind. They really liked the concept and the idea, so they agreed to put a good number of resources behind it, which is why we got that lyric video made among other things. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, what's it called? Google, Google meet calls <laughs> followed, um, at various times. Like one of them I had to take while I was, uh, it was my last week in the UK and I was spending it with two of my friends and we were all staying in, in one of them, in one of their, um, uni dorm rooms, all three of us oh, in the dorm room. <laughs> Fun fact, those two guys that I spent the last my last week in the UK with are two people who I met through music and who are now my best friends. I love so that. Th- those are the shout out to Rob and Andy. Um, and I had, like in the middle of that, I get a call on my phone. I'm like, shit, I got the guys. I have Monster Cat. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I stepped outside and took a call. Yeah, it was weird. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of came together that, like that. So you mentioned earlier that you did kind of a breakdown tutorial. Talk a bit about what that was for your talk EP. Oh yeah. Um, so I did call of the wild, a call of the wild takeover last week. Okay. And immediately after that, I followed up with a live stream on my own Twitch channel Okay. where I essentially went over each track in the EP and talked about some of the production and answered questions that people had about the tracks in the chat. Sort of like a, a track breakdown, but for every single song in the EP and it took two hours. Yeah. So I'll definitely link that below. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just so people can get, I have go ahead. I have a, a highlight link for it, so it's all you can watch the whole thing. Awesome. Still, so across the board, I'm really impressed by the productions of your talk EP. Do you feel like there are any songs in particular, from a production standpoint, that you're really proud of? I'm proud of all of them. I think specifically, talk and intentions are the two that I'm most most happy with in terms of production quality. Uh, I don't think there's anything specific that makes them. I think it's a mix of good songwriting, uh, lyrics, and just general that the the combination of those three things makes for a, a better song in, in general. I mean, I like definitely agree. I think people tend to overcomplicate things when it comes to production, but those three yes. things that you mentioned are standard. Everybody knows about them, but if you do all three of them pretty well, your music's going to be pretty good in the long run. Yeah. I, this is, I saw this tweet uh, a few weeks back where it was like first four years of producing, you just kind of learn remaking other people's stuff and learning yeah four to four to seven years you're just overproducing to show off and then eight <laughs> years forward you're just like keeping it simple now i'm gonna keep it simple now yeah it's like you have to learn to overcomplicate before you learn to do less with more undercomplicate or undercomplicate <laughs> yeah we have to learn to overcomplicate yeah. before you undercomplicate <laughs> yeah so I, I think that's definitely something that i've been sort of getting into is is okay you don't need to have 100 tracks in your project file yeah i mean i say that but then even the tracks of mine that sound minimal have 130 <laughs> tracks in it that's just down to detail in terms of the actual like structure of the song and like the everything it's it's more it's simpler now it's more yeah so i guess uh kind of a more pointed question so we can talk a little bit about production from your talk ep i really love the outro or I really love the last track, Feather. I feel like the kind of chorus drop that you have for it has a bunch of dense layers and textures. 
you have like a yeah. standard approach to layering and you can talk specifically about what you got going on for there, but we'd love to hear how you build out all the different layers and textures in a mix. I mean, like I said a, a while ago, I think it's all a matter of building habits and stuff like that. I definitely have sort of a, not really a system, just I guess, again, habits that I do when I'm layering and trying to fill out the space. A lot of it is down to making pads. And then in terms of, for instance, I have three, in the in the chorus of that song, I have three chord synths, which I never do that. I don't do that. I don't usually do that. I usually have one chord synth and that's good enough. Okay. Um, maybe two if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling spicy that day. Um, in this song, I have three. And the stupid part is they're almost identical. All three of them. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what was going on there. But I think in terms of like filling out the space and layering, especially for more ambient songs like that one, it's mostly about like learning to make soundscapes and learning to sample in a way that's effective. Okay. Yeah. In terms of the more ambient stuff or more ambient based music, even if it's house or, or dubstep or, you know, a breakdown even, I think it's about learning to make soundscapes and there's a lot of ways to do that, be it using synthesizers and pads or using like stretched instruments or just regular instruments with a bunch of reverb and delay. I think it's a good skill to learn soundscapes. Um, and then in terms of like filling out my, my general sort of big, bigger music, it's, it's more about using it. Like we just said before, less is more. I think it's about, it's about using the, as like the core elements as effectively as you can. So for instance, in Blinded, the drop is literally just a kick and 808 and a percussion. Yeah. Like at its core, it's that. Then there's a couple extra like spice layers on top, but on top, but like other than that, it's just kick, percussion, and bass. Talk is the same. It's it's drums, bass, and vocal. Yeah. And like a couple, and again, a couple extra layers on top. And those those layers of details are something that you learn over the years of producing. You learn to sort of do those effectively as well. I don't think there's any way to learn how to do detail better than to just do detail. Um, but yeah, at, at, at it, when you listen to them, like really at their core, those songs are all really simple in terms of their production. Same for uh, Intentions. There's a bunch of crazy percussion, but at the same time, not really. They're just 16th notes being played over a drum beat, an 808, and some chords. Yeah. And that's it. Once you figure that out, um, I think it's... It, that's kind of all you need to know is, is learn your, learn to work around your weaknesses and, and use the things that like use the core elements in your songs as, as effectively as possible. I feel like a lot of people struggle, even if they get that idea that they don't need five different chord stacks, struggle to make those sounds interesting enough for their music to be something interesting that other people want to hear. Are there certain processes that you use to like make a patch or chord sound more interesting than just like, you know, like a basic default preset, or does that just really come from your sound design workflow? Well, it definitely comes a lot from the sound design workflow. I'm not going to lie. When I'm making music that normally requires super saws, I'm like, all right, how the hell am I going to get around this super saw? <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause I like I, super saws are amazing. I love them, but at some point they get a little bit old. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta figure out how to make a sound that sounds that has the same function as a super saw, but isn't just quite a super saw. Million dollar question. I think the most recent example of this I had is like, I was making a very typical future bassy track. I really didn't want to use a super saw. So what I did is I had a super saw, but it was kind of filtering down. So it's like a, yeah. like an eighties sort of slow decay, um, filter. And then that was layered with a choir and I believe an organ. Okay. And then I, I put all of them through a very short room reverb and then just boost the high end a bit and put a little bit of OTT on it. And that was how I made my chord sound. 
And it sounds different enough to a super saw that it doesn't feel like a super saw, but at the same time, it, it does the same function in that it's a big chord sound yeah. in there. So I think, yeah. I feel like, um, I love that because I feel like so many, so many freaking producers rely on super saws because it's instant that their mix is big and full, but it's mm, not interesting it's, if they're just using the same super saw that every future bass yeah. or progressive house track has used for the past seven years. Yeah. Also, super saws are like the worst thing to mix because there is every frequency in there. (laughs) So, yeah, I think finding creative solutions to common problems is is what makes music fun, at least for me. Like uh, recently I was making a a, a, like a more poppy glitch, glitchy, glitch hoppy, I guess, kind of song, but in a more modern way. And I was like, man, I really don't want to do just an 808 for the bass. So I just turned on my Korg mini log, which I got recently, cycled through a bunch of the presets on here, found a bass, recorded it, and then processed it as a as if it was a MIDI bass in my in Ableton. Yeah. And I think that's like, okay, well, now I don't have a like a saw bass or or it's it's not a saw bass, it's also not an 808. Yeah. It's this cool, unique bass that I got out of this analog synth. And I know not everybody can afford an analog synth, but as a side note, the mini log is about 400 US if you want to pick it up. I think it's a yeah. phenomenal starting synthesizer and you can definitely make yeah. a full track with it. Yeah, it's it's probably the it's probably the cheapest and higher highest quality for the price polyphonic synthesizer that you can get. I guess going back to kind of what you said, so much of it is just being like, okay, I don't want to settle by using a generic 808 or by using a generic super yeah. saw. I need a creative solution to a common problem. It seems weird, but that was, at least for me, that was one of the biggest mindset shifts that I had that made my music more creative. It sounds simple just being like, yeah. hey, I'm not going to settle for all the basic stuff. But the second you decide to do that, not to use those same presets, not to use the generic sounds that you know work, and you're forced to do something more creative, that's the second that your music starts to be more interesting and unique. Definitely. Um, I, I had a conversation about this because, well, Andy, one of the guys that I shouted out earlier, he, yeah. he makes music under jemmy and also stereo cube um he made a rule for himself for 2019 he as stereo cube he made like very idm type music and he was like for 2019 i'm not i will not be using a single saw wave in a in a stereo cube song and so as a result he has found just countless creative solutions from using acapellas and using a tiny sliver of them to make a synthesizer to using like weird like um albino three that that yeah. old synth Start stuff like that. that yeah yeah dude um so by 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 giving yourself limitations like that common like saw waves you use them everywhere yeah <laughs> um and he was just like you know what 2019 no saw waves for for stereo cube um obviously on his own time he'll use saw waves whenever the hell he wants mm-hmm. because he does whatever he wants but for his actual project songs no saw waves mm-hmm. uh and i think that's a that's a good way you know, not necessarily for a whole year, but for a song, just be like, okay, I'm not going to use a super saw this song, or hey, I'm I'm going to switch up my cymatics drum pack this song. <laughs> um, it seems. Or I'm going to try to synthesize a kick this song. Yeah, it you know? seems obvious, but it is the easiest way to get to a different end result. Yeah, and at the same time, I feel like you know this is a production po- podcast, so I feel like most of the people in here aren't the type of people who would be lazy and just be like, hey, I'm making music to get money, so I'll just use Cymatics packs and Serum presets. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, if if you are doing that, you're kind of ruining it for everybody else, but um, if you're not doing that, then shout out to you, and I hope you take these tips to heart. 
because it's it's important to give yourself limit like limitations on very basic things just so that you can learn more and like at the end of the day it's like you're not going to use a super saw for this one song you're going to learn how to replace that super saw sound with creative solutions you can use that same mindset and technique set and like even sort of process in every other song that you make. And all of a sudden, would you look at that? You're not using super saws anymore and you've got a more unique sound than half the people on, you know, around you. Yeah. So. I mean, I always tell people that if you're using the same sounds as everyone else and the same tools and the same presets, how do you expect to get anything different? And exactly. it sounds like for you, not to sum up everything that you've done to find your unique sound, but so much of it has come from one, the intention to say, I'm going to do something unique with sound design. Part of that being external pressure from the SoundCloud community of 2014. And then the other side yep. just being like, hey, I'm not going to settle with the same exact sounds that all these other people have. I'm going to get creative, which as simple as it might sound is one of the, the most neglected aspects that I see with intermediate producers. They just don't allow themselves to get Definitely. creative and experiment. That's yeah. That's actually something that I forgot to touch on back when I was doing the history of Doom. <laughs> um, experimentation was a huge thing for me back then. I made every genre under the sun to the point where, still now, if you ask me to pull up a drum and bass track, I've got a good four. Yeah, um, and like stuff like that. And people never expect that because I'm I release pretty consistent style of music. Um, and I think trying out all the different genres that I did back in the day was a huge advantage to me because it, and I say this in the, in the least ego stroking way that I possibly can, but I think it makes me a more versatile producer than most producers out there. Totally. Um, because, because I messed with making happy hardcore when I was 15 years old, mm -hmm. or I messed with making dubstep and drum step and drum and bass. And most EDM genres, like general EDM genres, if you come to me with, like carnival step. I mean, like what the hell is that? I know. I don't know. I've not made that, but if you like the general dubstep or the general EDM genres and a lot of non EDM genres as well, I've at least tried once. And as a result, it makes me a more versatile producer. And that also sets you apart because you're using then like subconsciously you're using techniques from other genres in a genre that doesn't usually use them. And as a result, you get a more, you know, interesting track. hundred percent. Uh, and experimentation is so, so, so important. That's another, like, that's like another part in making my sound unique or, or whatever people say. Um, yeah. Is like the other day, like two days ago, I just sat down and I was like, I'm going to make an EDM banger. And boy, did I. <laughs> Do I ever intend on putting it out? I don't know. Maybe. But like, that's not never my intention when I open Ableton is, is to make a song like, or rarely. Sometimes it is, but rarely is it my intention to make a song. I usually open Ableton and then just mess around. Yeah, I've got so many projects that have never seen the light of day and aren't longer than a minute because they're just skits that I've made for fun. And that's 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 what it's all about. A lot of I feel like and, you know, I may be wrong, but I feel like a lot of um, younger, more recent starting producers sort of make music to make songs. And I don't think that's a mindset that works, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Like I just opened up my, my projects folder and I've got here just this project from uh, like a month ago called Sun Holo guitar study, where I literally pulled up a Sun Holo guitar loop and then tried to study each part of it and then remade, uh, uh, you know, my own loop that it was in, in that same style. And yeah. that was just me spending an hour and a half on learning something that I didn't know. Yeah in Ableton and I didn't make a song out of it, uh, but I learned something that I didn't know. And now I can use that. 
So that kind of ties back into what we said just earlier as well. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I love to hear you talk about that because I'm sure some people view you as this monster cat till I die. Every time you open the DAW, you're creating this monster cat banger. And that's your only focus that you have in life. And obviously that is not true. Oh, dude. (laughs) No, I I can redo some of these project file names. (laughs) I've got subpar Charlie song over here. (laughs) I got stuck in the airport project and that's a four bar house loop. (laughs) Um, You know. Yeah. This is one just called, yeah, a dib ripoff. That's another thing. That's another thing. You shouldn't be afraid to rip off somebody else at the start of the project. So many of my songs start out by me ripping off or remixing somebody else's song. And then it, because I have my own habits, like I said a billion times now, over time, the song turns into my own song. But at, this, at the beginning of the concept, I was like, hey, I like this sort of style that this person went for. So I'm going to try remaking it. And uh, over time, it evolves into its own thing. I feel like you've touched on a lot. No, I love that. Um, I feel like you've touched on a lot of really good points for both beginners and intermediates. Do you feel like there's anything that you've left out that helps you kind of go from that intermediate stage where you were still getting better with production to a point where you were releasing on SoundCloud, people were starting to follow you, and you got some traction going with your career? Just to give you some context, the reason I ask this is we have a lot of producers that go to our website, listen to our podcast, that have been producing for maybe three or four years. They're still really excited about production, but they just haven't broken through to a point where they have a release-ready sound yet. So what types of things would you offer in terms of advice for those people and what types of things do you feel like helped you in your growth as a producer to get to that point where you were starting to get some support? This is kind of maybe going to go against something you may have said before in another podcast or whatever. I just started putting out music immediately and that helped me a lot because I was getting feedback from people who weren't necessarily my friends or people that I knew telling me that I'm shit. Um, (laughs) And that helped, like, okay, when I was 13, it hurt. But now, in hindsight, it helped a lot. Um, Like, literally, I think the first song I ever made, like that that one-hour-long GarageBand tutorial song, that that, I put that out on SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, And and I, yeah, I understand if you're a slightly more established producer trying to relaunch a new project that you might want to, you might want to cultivate a sound for maybe a year before you start putting out music. But I think as a beginner, you should just do it maybe don't do it on a project, like on an alias that you want to be known as maybe just do it as like a, a a side thing. And you're like, okay, this is my, this is where I'm going to grow. And then once I'm at a point where I feel confident enough to put music out, like, you know, professionally at a more professional standard, then I'm going to use this alias. Yeah, That's not something that's also not something that I did, but in hindsight, it's something that I wish I did where I had like just a thing called X, Y, Z or whatever, where I just made, and posted all my earlier stuff and then switched to Dumu when I was like, okay, I'm good at music now. Yeah. Which I'm still not good at music <laughs> in my eyes, but that's kind of the struggle with the artist, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Perpetual. Um, and I think that that's kind of what helped me push over the limit is just putting out music from the start because then I was able to see the, the comments go from your god awful quit music to this is really cool to yo. Dumu's putting out a new song and I can't wait to hear it. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing a good job. And that gave me the confidence to keep making music at a level that I was, you know, at a level that kept increasing. Yeah. And still to this day, I feel like my level keeps increasing. And you get to a point where your production standard necessarily doesn't net, like go up. Uh, then it starts becoming your mixing and mastering skills. Yeah. I've gotten, I think I've got 
just over the last couple of songs, I've leveled up in terms of mixing. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's important to at least share. Not necessarily, you don't have to put it out on SoundCloud for the world to see, but definitely share your music with people you don't necessarily know, I think is a good idea. 100%. Online, on forums, on Reddit, whatever. I think um, you mentioned that what you're about to say might go against things we've had in previous podcasts. Personally, I say don't necessarily release music right away, but to kind of touch on what you said, don't take yourself and that project too seriously. Like be happy and yeah. be open to sharing with people so that you can get that feedback so that you can grow faster as a For producer. Sure. But what I say is like, don't spend 10 hours a week marketing that project and like spamming your Facebook. No, Just definitely not. Be out there, you know, be gaining some of those early connections and fans. And then um, kind of like you said, the best case is you switch over and let's start a new project fresh once you've developed that sound and a little bit of a following. And we've seen like really good projects come from nowhere. And those are because those producers likely had a project beforehand and then switched like Reaper kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and there's no doubt that he had a, he was producing for a good, you know, five to seven years before he started Reaper and then was like, okay, I'm at a point where I can release music as this project that I really want to put my heart and soul into. And he did. And it's working out for him, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, me, on the other hand, I had a more progressive thing where at the start of Dumu, I was still bad and, and now most of my old songs are gone. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's two ways to go about it, but I don't think I did it the right way. I think a more recent example of somebody that relaunched was 1788L, who's just yeah. killing the mid-tempo bass scene. Um, I forgot what his previous project was, but he had like another project for like a decade before that project yeah, came out. I wouldn't out. be surprised. Yeah. And like he, um, he came out so, so quick with it. And it makes sense that, you know, 10 years of a project that he was already releasing on to be able to build up to that point totally makes sense. So exactly. something really important to think about. So you touched on some earlier that I feel like our fans will be remiss if I don't get back into that you've been getting and leveling up your mixing recently. Do you feel like there's been anything in particular yeah. that has helped you get to that point? Uh, just my ears. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it just happens over time because, okay, in the eyes of my friends, at least, and my, and I guess kind of myself, I've always been quite good at mixing. The thing is that now when I listen to songs from two years ago where I was like, this mix is super clean, I'm like, well, this mix sucks. This sucks. What the hell is this is the worst. Um, so I think it's just a case of like, the more you make music, the more you kind of start to hear the imperfections and you start to be able to pinpoint uh, what makes a mix good and bad. And and I, it helps that I've done two years of audio engineering at in the UK, okay. even though like I didn't learn things there that I didn't already know, it was good to get like reinforcement on those things. And I definitely think that played a part in me getting cleaner mixes, but you shouldn't spend, you know, nine grand a year on an audio production school. If you just want to get better at mixing, there are other ways to do that. That's pretty cheap, um, at least compared to what that would cost you in the US too. Yeah. In the U.S., yeah. It's like, what is it, 30 grand a semester? Yeah, uni, uni's insane in the U.S. compared to most other countries. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's just mixing and getting better at mixing and mastering is a, is a process. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that I've made music for seven years and I'm still improving on my mixes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's something you ever get good at. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> like as, as soon as you think you're good at it, like two, two weeks later, you're like, wait, um, actually, <laughs> this was terrible. So just to wrap things up, what's going to be coming up for you in the next year to six months? 
Okay, uh, a lot of lot of stuff in the works. Uh, on Friday, the fourth of October, I'm doing a Reddit AMA on the Monster Cat Reddit. So it's r slash Monster Cat. So if you're interested in asking me some more questions after hearing this or whatever, uh, feel free to hop in there and I'll answer as many questions as I can. We've also got some good content stream plans for uh, for Dumu. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring back this old series that I had called Speed Beats, but in a slightly different format. That's gonna be coming very soon, and I'm gonna start doing more video content as well in general. And obviously, music is you know in the works, so I haven't quit that either yet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> awesome. All right, with that, we'll wrap things up. We'll leave a link in the description to stream Duma's new talk EP, along with everything else that we've talked about so far in this episode. Charlie, it's been great chatting with you, and appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. It's been nice to talk to you as well.